maybe equals no, right? If, if you have doubts about a person, don't hire. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. How many of you have experienced making a bad hire or had bad hires on your team? I personally lost over $840,000 on just one bad hire alone. So that's why I'm doing a free class called the five secrets to avoiding bad hires that can cost you $50,000 plus each. All you need to do is to text bad hire, spell it out, B-A-D-H-I-R-E to 33444. That's double three, triple four, and you'll be registered. I'll see you there. Hello, everyone. Today's interview is with Russell Glass, who is one of the original co-founders of Bizzo. And Bizzo eventually got up to $50 million in revenues and 150 employees and sold to LinkedIn for, I believe, $175 million. Uh, Russell has a lot of information to share around hiring and what it's like to sell in general and um, you know what it's also like to make 300000 in revenue and dip to 30000 um, after the crisis in 2008. Um, there's a lot of inf- information in here and also um, some insight as to uh, what it's like to work for a big company like LinkedIn after uh, selling to them. So hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Russell Glass, who previously founded Bizzo and eventually sold to LinkedIn. Russell, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Eric. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and then uh, Bizzo, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so founded Bizzo about six years ago. Uh, the whole concept was I was a entrepreneur, B2B marketer, saw that the whole world was changing in terms of how audiences were being targeted instead of you know composition-based targeting, right? So instead of putting marketing on sites that indexed well for visitors, actual people were being targeted. But everybody was thinking about it from the consumer perspective. And as a B2B marketer, I was you know, like, hey, man, we need solutions to help us more effectively target business people. And that was the genesis of Bizzo. Uh, and had a great ride. Grew to, grew to over 150 people and over $50 million in revenue uh, before we you know, started having these conversations with LinkedIn. When did you decide, you know, 50 million in revenues and 150 employees is pretty sweet. So, you know, what made you decide that it was time to time to sell? Yeah, I mean, it was a number of factors. Um, I think the biggest was we'd been working with LinkedIn for a couple of years. We were incredibly impressed with the business they'd built, the culture, um, the, um, the opportunity. And, you know, when you, when you get all that, and you also get value, right, the price for the shareholders that we, we got. We didn't raise much money for Bizzo. We raised $16 million in total capital. Um, you know, so it just all kind of came together to be a very, um, a very good fit and good timing for it. Got it. Now, walk us through, you know, not many people um, have the, are fortunate enough to, to sell. So, we, you know, when you do get to that point, I mean, you know, what are the pros? Like right after you sell, what are the pros? And then talk about the cons after. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think the pros are probably relatively obvious, right? There's a, uh, a tremendous, um, tremendous change both in, you know, as the entrepreneur, your personal kind of value and net worth, um, your shareholder, uh, your shareholders who really invested in you, bet in you, you know, um, the, the ability to make them lots of uh, return on that capital is, you know, there's, there's no better feeling. Um, and in, by shareholders, I include all my employees, right, and, and everybody who was sort of uh, capital holders in the company. Um, but then, you know, particularly if, if in my situation, and I don't think this is always the case, um, the fit, like I mentioned, is so good that a huge positive here is just being able to take all the vision we have, you know, of creating the best platform for B2B marketers and accelerate it, you know, by years by integrating in with a, a platform like a LinkedIn that, you know, has over half the world's professionals as part of it and has all these incredible resources, right? So just an incredible ability to accelerate, you know, our goals and our mission and, and, and um, attack, attack that more quickly. The cons are that, you know, you go from a 150-person, um, fast-moving, you know, company where, where I'm making all the decisions, right, at the end of the day, like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm uh, able to do things very quickly to a 6,000-plus person matrixed organization that, you know, you have to get a lot of people up to speed. You have to spend um, more time educating, right? It's slower moving. So that's an adjustment. And I think, you know, all entrepreneurs should go into that eyes wide open. And that's part of why culture is so important. Like, if you don't have the culture fit right, uh, you have to be very careful about, you know, doing an acquisition like this, particularly when your company is, is doing well and growing fast and all that, all that kind of stuff. Got it. Okay. Okay. So now you're at LinkedIn right now. Are you required to stay a, you know, a set amount of years or are you just, are, are you just happy, you know, staying there um, indefinitely? Yeah. So I'm required to stay for a certain amount of years, but um, I'm enjoying myself. So who knows, right? I, I could be here. I could be here for a long time. Got it. Okay. Now, you know, when you, I mean, you just mentioned going from 150 and then, you know, integrating into LinkedIn. I mean, I have to imagine there are some tough decisions you have to make when selling. I mean, can you talk about some of these stories? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think um, there's a lot of tough decisions, right? So, so one big one is that we were, we were growing very quickly with a very differentiated product in the marketplace. And, um, you know, it's always, it's always a tough decision to get off that train, right? You get, this is your baby, founded it from scratch, right? Grew it, all these people, the culture you built and put it in someone else's hands in effect, right? Um, that's, that's a risk. That's um, a difficult decision to make. Again, I think all of those factors that I talked about before, culture fit, um, you know, working relationship, the scale and resources that, that you know, th this company brings to the table, right? Actually, in fact, you know, I'll show you where I'm sitting here, right? The, uh, nice. <laughs> the video games uh, that is in every building. And it's just like a great environment for us to come and be successful in. Um, that was really what, what pushed that over the line. Um, you know, other things that um, were, were difficult, we had as part of the, you know, 
So we were actually at about 155 people um, because there was a part of our business that didn't make sense, right? Uh, basically a, a data component to our business. Um, we decided to shut that down, mm. right? And so there were a handful of employees who we didn't bring over um, because they were, they were sort of focused on that business. So that was a tough, tough decision, right? At the same time, you know, LinkedIn was incredible um, in that process and, and really made sure we could take care of all those people. And again, that just reaffirmed the amazing, amazing culture that LinkedIn's built and, and their desire to make sure that everybody is uh, well taken care of. Now, when you, you know, when you have to make a tough decision like that, when you have to eliminate a team and, you know, you have to, I guess you're pretty much, you have to lay them off. I mean, what are you, what are you doing in that scenario? Are you trying to find them new jobs? I'm just trying to get the audience, you know, if anyone ever gets to the situation, what do they do? Yeah, totally. Um, so first of all, I mean, I'll give you my sort of recommendation. Obviously, every situation is different, right? But mm -hmm. my feeling was um, you do everything you can to make these people whole, right? So from severance to acceleration of vesting to um, helping them to get placed in new opportunities. Uh, we actually had our recruiters at Bizzo we, we took them off of recruiting and moved them over to helping these people find new roles, right? So like that, that to me, when, when you have a, a great group of people uh, and you have built the culture as, to be as strong as Bizzo has, part of the, the commitment I think you're making to these people is that you're going to take care of them at every turn, right? I mean, they're making a bet on you. And, and to me, as an entrepreneur, I feel like it, what, what, I, what I'm promising in return is that I'm always going to do as well as I can for them, right? And, and so that's what we did, right? And all of them, like without fail, have now landed in not only great positions, but they're great positions where they're more senior and they're making more money than they were before. Um, we were able to fully vest them. I mean, we really took care of, of all those people. Nice. Accelerated vesting. I'm actually, this is the first time I've heard of that. How does that work exactly? Yeah, so basically it's, it's you know, let's say you have, you're an employee, you have a four-year vesting cycle, you're two years into that. That means that you basically are vested half of the equity grant you were given, right? We basically said we thought it was the right thing to do to fully accelerate all of those people and give them um, the four years worth of vesting, even though they were only with the company for two. Um, and that was a cost to Bizzo, right? That's a direct cost to Bizzo shareholders because we're diluting all of the other shareholders by doing that. Uh, we just felt it was the right thing to do. Mm. Cool. And, you know, when you, you know, walk me through how that looks to the, to the board when you come up with, with, a, with a plan like that. Um, you know, it probably depends on the board. Uh, you know, I, I think Bizzo was very purposeful in building a board that had a similar culture as the company. And the whole, the whole sort of concept in my mind was, as an entrepreneur, one of the things you have that nobody else has in their career is the ability to choose exactly who you work with, right? It's like the ultimate advantage in, in your career to be able to say, handpick all the people that you work with, right? That's a huge thing, right? If you think about how much time you spend at work and how much time you spend with these people. Um, I did the same thing with the board where I didn't, I, I didn't want anybody on this board that I wasn't excited 
to like go have a beer with, right? Or, or spend time out of the office with. And so when we came to this board and said, this is what we want to do, you know, they said, are you sure? Cause it like, like a board should, they made sure that they, you know, uh, fulfilled their fiduciary responsibilities and pushed us to make sure that it was the right thing to do. But when I explained it to them, they said, yeah, we agree. This is the right thing to do. Got it. Okay. Now, you know, you talk a little, a lot about culture. You talk a lot about, you know, hiring, picking your team and things like that. So what's the most effective hiring question that you have in your arsenal? Uh, that's a good question. I think the, the one that I use most universally is uh, why. Um, you know, I think the resume in some respects is a little bit broken in that it's just a whole bunch of what, right? It's kind of what have you done factually throughout your career. But the question that I think gets more to what kind of culture fit will this person be? How well will they execute? How well will they um, be able to sort of um, get their job done is why. Because why gets to how someone makes decisions, how they think. Even asking why, you know, simple things like look at a resume, ask why they formatted it, how they formatted it. Ask why that blue line is there. Ask why they decided to put this in, in bullets. Even simple questions like that, I think, really get to the heart of, uh, of somebody much faster than all the what you know, that, they've, that they've listed on their resume. I like it. I'm going to steal that. Um, so you know, getting to $50 million is, is definitely not easy. Uh, and you said you have a lot of B2B marketing experience. So I, I'm, I'm wondering, what was the most effective thing that got you to $50 million in revenues? So I, I would say it's two things. Um, the first is focus. So Bizzo was maniacal about keeping focused on solving very specific problems for B2B marketers. We had opportunities to expand into B2C. We had opportunities to do all kinds of other things. And saying no to enable us to focus allowed us to grow as quickly as we grew. The second big thing is hire only the best people, right? Um, you know, it took us six years to hire about 23 engineers. We always had open recs for engineers. It took us six years to hire 23 people. That gives you an indication of the kind of quality that we focused on. And um, that's a big, a big part of what LinkedIn saw in us was this incredibly high-quality team that we brought to the table. Of the 23, so you hired 23 engineers. I'm wondering how many engineers did you have to go through to get to the 23? What's that conversion rate look like? Uh, Interview-wise? Yeah, just interview-wise. Oh. You know, uh, thousands. I don't. I don't know. I don't know the exact answer, but thousands. Wow. No, that just shows what kind of detail you need to put in to build an amazing team. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, recruiting is the most important thing you do. Hiring great people is the most important thing you do. Yeah. Do you think when you're a CEO, and, and I get this from from other people I've talked to as well, it's they say you know as a CEO your job is to be recruiting twenty five to thirty three percent of the time. Yeah, I, you know, that's interesting. It'd be interesting to um, actually do the math on that. I would say that's at least right for us um, or for me. A um, little less now that I'm at LinkedIn and it has more of an infrastructure, but I spent a ton of time uh, recruiting great people. Now, 
when you're I, in the early days of Bizzo, I'm just wondering, you know, do you spend that same amount of time or are you more focused on product in the early days and you switch gears into recruiting mode or is it always by default 25 to 30%? Yeah, I, you know, I actually would say I probably spent more time recruiting in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because high, those first 20 people are so critical, right? You're setting the foundation for the rest of the company's culture, the rest of the growth of the company. And each incremental hire is such a sea change to the company's ability to execute that I probably spent 50% of my time recruiting in the early days, right? Getting the right people on board. Um, you know, I was probably, I was probably in that sort of 30, 30% range. I'd have to do all the math in the late days because you have an infrastructure around you and you have, you know, we had multiple recruiters full time. We had hiring managers that were spending a lot of their effort. And I ended up getting, you know, my time was spent on my network. So getting my network activated to bring the right candidates to the table and then interviewing people once they got to the final stages, right? I didn't, I didn't do as much, I didn't have as much time spent on the early stages of interviewing as I did when I was, when the company was smaller. Mm. Now, when you are, you know, people always say, you know, you should be constantly interviewing people, even if you don't have a position available just to meet great people. So in an event that you don't have a spot for this person, but you know, this person is great, I guess, what does the conversation, you know, typically look like? Are you just grabbing coffee and just chatting? Like, you know, what, what type of questions are you asking? That type of stuff? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's grabbing a beer. It's grabbing coffee. It's, it's very informal. Maybe we go out for lunch or something. It's, it's just, you know, to me, you're always recruiting. You're constantly thinking about talent. And, um, you know, even if you look at our careers page online, right, one of the lines on there is, don't see a position that's available, but you fit our core tenets. Give us a call. Like, reach out to us. We'd love to, we'd still love to talk to you because you never know when we're going to say, this person is such a good culture fit that we're going to make a bet that just getting them on board of the company, finding a role for them is going to be, um, effective for us mm. got it now when you say when you say activate your network what do you mean exactly by that um so so basically the best candidates always come from your personal networks right because they're only they're self-vetted right they, they come in with a much higher likelihood of success because if a good buddy of yours or somebody within your network recommends them then they're much more likely to be a successful candidate. And so activating my network, by that I mean, you know, reaching out to my board members, reaching out to colleagues, reaching out to others, and letting them know that we have certain opportunities available. Having coffee with people, right? Having lunch with people. As an entrepreneur, as a venture-backed entrepreneur in particular, the other thing that I think is very uh, useful there is you really should be constant. You should always be raising money, right? Even if you're not actually actively in a round, mm-hmm. you should always be keeping venture people informed. And there's two. There's two reasons for that, right? Uh, actually, there's three reasons for that. Really, first big reason is you know the best time to raise money is when you don't need it, and by keeping them informed along the way, they they see you executing against their plan against your plan. They, they get excited about what you're doing as an entrepreneur, right? They, they see that, that trajectory that you're on and the fact that you, you do what you tell them you're going to do. 
that's what gets them excited because execution is always the hardest thing to find. There's ideas everywhere. It's people who can execute against them that are the more difficult thing for venture people to find. So that's the first reason. The second reason is they are great network you know, hubs for talent. So as you're meeting with them and you're talking about the different roles you have available, they always have somebody that's looking for a role and they always have and, – and it's often the case that their portfolio just doesn't have anything current avail, currently available. So they're a great way to sort of drive that talent, um, that talent network. Final thing is it just – they keep you informed about what's going on in their networks, right? So what companies are they investing in? What's interesting out there? So as a CEO, it, it pays to you know have a lot of those conversations. Got it. Okay. Now, <laughs> moving a little bit into user acquisition, how did you guys get your first, let's just say, fifty or one hundred customers? Um, personal networks, right? So in the early days, when you're you're brand new, nobody's ever heard of you. Um, the, you have to get customers that are willing to give you feedback that are willing to kind of say, hey, this is working, this isn't. You have to get friend friendlies, so to speak, right? And once you have those friendlies that help you improve the product and ultimately are willing to go on record as references, that's when the snowball can start, right? Because that's when you can go to other customers and say, hey, American Express is on board. Or, hey, you know, Capital One is on board, or we had, you know, probably a dozen initial clients that Sage was another one that were really important references for us. And every single one of those initial clients came from our personal networks. It was somebody I knew at American Express, or somebody my co-founder knew at, at Capital One, or somebody that uh, someone else knew at Sage. You have to start with those friendlies. And, um, you know, we got very lucky. I mean, you know, we had 10, 12 initial clients in, in you know, the first sort of quarter of being in the market. Um, we were at about 300000 in revenue that first quarter. Um, you know, it was 2008, 2009. Market tanked. We lost all of them because they all lost their budgets wow. coming into 2009. So we went from 300 and something thousand in revenue to 30000 in revenue that January of 2009. And, you know, two things I think saved us, right? One was the great culture we had built. So these first 15 people were, were no quit kind of people. You know, they, they basically rolled their sleeves up and said, all right, we've got to start over, right? But we can do this. We believe in this. Um, and then, you know, our, the focus and the belief in, in what we were doing, the success that we saw in Q4 that we could use and leverage. They were still references, even if they weren't clients anymore, to build that snowball again. And, you know, we, we exited 2009 with $2.5 million in revenue. Wow. Okay. So when you when you dip from, you know, 300K to 30K, um, you know, what kept the lights on? Was it the, the cash you had in the bank from the funding or how did that work? Yeah. I mean, we were, we were running on a shoestring, right? I think mm -hmm. part of what was lucky, you know, in every – Every entrepreneur should realize that luck plays a factor in all this stuff. Um, part of what we, the luck we had in that situation was that we were still lean, right? We were only 15 people, so we didn't have a huge, uh, a huge cost base to cover. Um, so when we lost all that, we still had enough cash in the bank uh, to, you know, 
ride that out, so to speak. Um, I would say, had we been bigger, right? Had we gone from, you know, two million in revenue to zero, or two million in revenue to three hundred thousand, it could have been a choppier road, right? That was a very difficult time for a lot of startups. Um, the second thing I think that got us through that, like I said, was the, this amazing culture. So these were these were individuals, these these fifteen people that were on board at that time that were just. They were entrepreneurs, right? They were, they were, there was no, never any really thought of quitting. It was, all right, you know, that sucks, <laughs> but how are we going to, how are we going to get through this? And we did. Got it. Now, this actually goes a little bit back into hiring. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned your team is full of entrepreneurs. How do you find, you know, you guys, you ask the question why, but there has to be something else that tells you that this person is an entrepreneur. This person is going to grind it out if, if shit hits the fan. Well, that gets down to those why questions, right? I mean, it gets back to really understanding how someone thinks and how they make decisions. When you ask somebody why they went to a certain job, why did they leave that job and go to the next job? Why did they leave that job and go to the next job? You start to get an understanding of, of how they're making decisions. And oftentimes, you can really start to suss out, are they a quitter, right? Are they somebody that you know um, sees challenges and walks away from those challenges versus, you know, digging in and really, really accomplishing things. Um, you also see it, you know, just in, you can see it on the resume itself just from, you know, if somebody's hopping around six months, year, you know, at a time, mm-hmm. that to me is a big red flag. Right? Got it. Now, your interview process is, how long, I mean, you're asking these why questions. I mean, how many rounds does it go for? How long do you typically interview someone before, you know, offering them a job? Izzo had a pretty accelerated process. Um, we had a round of phone screens. Um, we had a round of in-person interviews. Uh, often, we'd have them come back for an interview with me or other parts of the executive team, and then we'd make an offer. So, mm. um, and you know, reference check, but but but. Um, we didn't have, you know, many rounds. So I would say on average, it was probably phone screen plus two rounds of interviews. Got it. Okay. Now, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? One piece of advice. You know, I would say, so my first startup, um, which I founded when I was 22, um, 23, uh, I, I made every mistake in the book, right? Um, I just didn't even know what I didn't know. But the biggest was this notion of hiring the right people and like never let your guard down, right? Never get to the point where you take somebody just because there's a really big need, just because there's a, you know, you need a warm body in a seat, um, I made all my worst mistakes hiring the wrong people and then not firing them fast enough when I recognized they were the wrong culture fit in my first deal. Not to say that, you know, I don't believe in being quick to make firing decisions unless they're not a culture fit, right? If they're not a culture fit, you need to make a decision immediately. If they're a culture fit but they're not, they're not executing, I think you have more time, right? You can figure out, is it, is it an our problem or their problem? If you're not a culture fit, you need to make a very quick decision. So I would say, you know, it's all about the people. You know, don't don't 
maybe equals no, right? If, if you have doubts about a person, don't hire them. Mm. If there's any doubt, there's no doubt. Maybe equals no. That was a big mantra at Bizzo. Got it. Who is your idol and why? My idol. Um, so somebody who I just respect tremendously is Elon Musk. Um, I think that there are entrepreneurs and, you know, um, I obviously consider myself um, an entrepreneur and, a, and a, you know, I've been lucky to be successful. But what Elon has done in my mind, um, and it's not just once, it's multiple times, has, you know, is, is so transformational, not just from an industry perspective, but how the world works and is going to work perspective. That's really impressive, right? I think um, the fact that he's biting off and tackling such massive challenges and executing them, you know, at least externally, uh, pretty flawlessly, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's, uh, that's something to model. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you have world-changing entrepreneurs and then, you know, there's you, you kind of regular entrepreneurs, but, you know, they're all successful. But yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Productivity hack, um, you know, keep an empty inbox. Um, I, I think uh, email has become such a crutch in a lot of ways and, and, you know, an important communication vehicle, but also a crutch. And I think, um, I see so many thousands and thousands of, you know, filled inboxes, keep an empty inbox, right? Figure out the right methodology to keep your inbox, uh, small and, and you'll become more productive. What's your methodology? Um, I, as I'm as I'm getting things in, I either if it's quick, I respond immediately. If it's not quick and I don't have time, I leave it in my inbox, um, or I delete it right away. Mm-hmm. And um, otherwise, and so that keeps things relatively small to the things I need to. I know I need to deal with, um, and uh, you know, I I I don't let my inbox just, I, I don't open things and let, let things grow right to the point where I, I don't know what I followed up on yet or not. I don't know kind of in order of operations, the priority order of what I want to take care of next. Um, so I'm just very, um, on top of, uh, keeping that inbox trimmed. Okay, great. What's one must read book you'd recommend to the audience? There's so many great books out there. Um, a must-read book, I would say, um, Jeffrey Moore's um, Crossing the Chasm is table stakes. You have to understand how industries grow um, and are, are, are able to be disrupted. Um, I also think Clay Christensen's Innovator's Dilemma is a phenomenal book. Um, and also gives you a good understanding of how to how to how to create a focused business as an entrepreneur that can disrupt uh, disrupt others and disrupt industries. Great, Russell. How can people find you online? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Russell Glass uh, uh, on LinkedIn is is a great way to find me online at Glass Russ on Twitter. Uh, and we just published a book um, called The Big Data Driven Business. Uh, which uh, for entrepreneurs that want to understand how to better use data in, in both founding and growing businesses, 
Uh, you talked about sort of growth hacking and whatnot. This mm-hmm. you know gets into a lot of that. Uh, available on Amazon at Barnes and Noble. Okay, this is written by LinkedIn. By me. Oh, by you. Okay, well, I'll have to check that out for sure. That that's something I think uh, is going to be a big help. Um, anyway, everyone, this is Russell Glass, uh, one of the founders or the founder of of Bizzo and now at LinkedIn. Russell, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Eric. Take okay. care. How many of you have experienced making a bad hire? Or had bad hires on your team? I personally lost over $840,000 on just one bad hire alone. So that's why I'm doing a free class called the five secrets to avoiding bad hires that can cost you $50,000 plus each. All you need to do is to text bad hire, spell it out, B-A-D-H-I-R-E to 33444. That's double three, triple four, and you'll be registered. I'll see you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.